Welcome to the Carecast. Well, welcome to another Carecast. We're continuing uh, today in our new normal series. We've been looking at some of the big questions and ethical issues that have been raised over the last seven months, ever since the coronavirus pandemic first broke out. Seven months. That's how long it's been since we went into some form of lockdown and all of a sudden our news agendas became dominated by one thing. Brexit was no longer on the table. It was all about this global pandemic. COVID-19 began first rumblings in December before Christmas. January, things began to accelerate. February, even more so. And it was March the 23rd that the Prime Minister told us all with a very simple message, stay at home. Since then, we have seen lockdown restrictions being eased, but then reapplied in different parts of the country. So whether you are listening from Scotland, Northern Ireland, Wales, the northeast of England, the south of England, London, or in any other part of the country, who knows what kind of restrictions you are currently under. There's all this talk at the moment of a second wave. Some say it's upon us. Some say it's not yet upon us. Some question whether there's a second wave in the first place. But today, what we want to focus on with our guests is the whole question of vaccinations. Is a vaccine the silver bullet that is going to enable all of us to live a free life again? And as Christians, as followers of the Lord Jesus, how should we respond to fears, questions, doubts, concerns that are being raised by some about the efficacy and the safety of vaccines? Well, joining me on the podcast today to discuss these vital issues, I'm delighted to welcome our regular guest, Mr. Matt James. Matt, welcome back to the Carecast. Hi, James. It's great to be with you again. Now, Matt, just for our listeners, could you just remind them uh, who you are and what it is that you do? Yeah, um, I'm a, basically a, a, to care. I'm a, a bioethics consultant. I've been working with the public affairs team for many years now on bioethical issues and seeking to uh, provide um, expertise and advice to them on the various issues that care addresses. Um, outside of that, I happen to be a, an associate professor in bioethics and medical law at St Mary's University. Uh, which involves me lecturing and conducting research into bioethical issues. Um, and generally, I've had about 10, 12 years of experience of being engaged in the ethical and social uh, questions surrounding uh, the new advances in technology and science, uh, having also worked in Parliament as a parliamentary researcher. Fantastic, Matt. Thank you very much. And also joining us on the podcast today, I am delighted to welcome Nikki Adolfi to the Carecast. Nikki, it's fantastic to have you with us. Can you just introduce yourself uh, to our listeners and those watching on YouTube and say a little bit about who you are and what you're currently doing? Thank you very much. Uh, my name is Nikki. I'm uh, a mum of five. Uh, it's a very busy job. Um, I am doing the course, uh, the Bioethics and Medical Law course. I'm just about to finish my head is about to explode because I'm trying to do my dissertation. There are papers everywhere. So I'll be really glad to finish. But I have been researching the natural health area for about 14, 15 years. So I have quite a lot of knowledge that I could probably make useful in some way. But hopefully I'll be able to give you some of the knowledge from the course, as well as my background in researching um, just as a mum, just as a person with concerns. I mean, that gets to the heart of it, doesn't it? Yeah. That's one of the reasons yeah. why 
we're having this discussion is because some of our listeners, some of you watching uh, from home, you'll be parents or even grandparents, and you might have concerns like Nikki does about vaccines and all of the talk around who gets vaccinated and will it be mandatory, will it be compulsory and all of that. That's what we want to discuss. So Nikki, it's fantastic to have you with us. Well, let's just dive right in. First of all, let me give just a bit of quick context here. So according to epidemiologists, it's a great word, Matt, what's an epidemiologist? Uh, those are interested in, in the study of disease and epidemics. Fantastic. Those interested in the study of disease and epidemics, they reckon that upwards of 70% of the UK population uh, may need to develop some kind of immunity to COVID-19 through vaccinations. Now, Matt, does this mean that the concept of herd immunity that was touted right back at the beginning of March by Sir Patrick Vallance on the Today programme has, has effectively, you're saying that could be achieved through vaccination? Well, it's certainly what they're suggesting is what we should be working towards with this whole discussion around a vaccine. Um, clearly, a, a virus spreads easily, and that's what our understanding is from the science community, and the world remains uh, fairly vulnerable at the moment to COVID-19. So the thinking behind a vaccine is that it provides a form of protection from the virus. It, it trains people's immune system to be able to, to fight the virus by uh, developing antibodies that will make us immune. And of course, that's ultimately the, the grand dream. But even now, there's debate over whether we'll actually be able to secure immunity forever or whether this is going to need almost like a top up every five or six years, uh, because we just don't know. This is just a new area. Uh, we've had coronaviruses uh, previously, uh, and we still haven't got a, a vaccine for those, those that trigger kind of um, colds and perhaps not to the same extent as COVID-19, which is a particular coronavirus part of that family, so to speak, um, the symptoms that it's uh, triggering in us. Um, so, yeah, I, I think um, the progress in, in sense is, is rapidly evolving. The, the race is on, so to speak, to try and find a vaccine. I think there's about 214 in process at the moment with various and various of them are at various stages of trials and, and, and testing. But, um, yeah, no one quite knows how effective any of these vaccines will be. And it will take time to really know know that and normally what takes years perhaps even decades to really formulate researchers are really trying to achieve this in a small amount of time even perhaps in months so um it, it's one really to watch and carefully consider and question perhaps just why so much emphasis is being placed on a vaccine which in some respects we can understand we want to try and get out of this scenario but just what uh, other options might there be for us to consider at this time there's i think we've discussed in previous podcasts how this whole um time has been kind of described as extraordinary um unsettling even perhaps apocalyptic and it's apocalyptic rather and it's interesting that the, the greek word from which we get apocalypse from means the kind of great uncovering and and revealing and perhaps there's there's some things here about our attitudes responses to health health inequalities health access access to health and so forth that are beginning to be revealed as we get to grips with just what a vaccine will supposedly do for us what it promises, what it really will deliver as time and trials uh, unfold, just what are the issues that we need to be thinking about? I guess this kind of gets to the fact that there's a real need for clear information. I'm sure we'll, we'll pick up on this later on, but I think 
for myself, and, and I'm sure for, for people that I know, there's probably a fairly simplistic understanding of a vaccine. A vaccine is the kind of thing you get to prevent you from getting illnesses. You got some when you were a child, maybe. And at a superficial hearing, it's like, well, great, a vaccine will solve this. I'll get immunity and I can crack on and actually live my life. And yet we discover, based on a YouGov survey, for example, that one in six UK respondents have said they would probably not get a vaccine. And so, Nikki, there are those out there who are incredibly concerned by the prospect of vaccines, mandatory vaccines, and, and whether or not this is actually the right approach to take. Um, yes, I think, um, first I'd like to start with the, the little phrase you use, silver bullet. I think uh, in some ways I'm going to answer yes, vaccines could be the silver bullet, because what you do, it links into the immunity passport stuff that you did last week. And yeah, you can just go and get it and live your life as normal because you've got that certificate. Underneath that is a much more complicated and complex process in how it actually works, how it produces immunity, how it's tested for immunity, how long that lasts, as that's been mentioned already, and whether you were able to get immunity anyway without the vaccine, which hasn't been covered. So going back to your point about the 70% is needed for it to be vaccinated, well, how much of that percentage has already been immune by the time the vaccine comes out? That, those are some of the questions that haven't been asked and aren't being asked. And from uh, watching a YouTube clip of a uh, very top Korean scientist or something, I can't remember, he said that vaccines are no good in pandemics because already by the time it's come out, it's too late because it's already in circulation. So we've got this real problem where, okay, yeah, it's a silver bullet, I'll go and get one, live my life as normal, is a real danger in when we don't understand the processes of what happens when that goes through the skin and how it, it can cause problems in the body, um, which we know about, and we know there's side effects because it in, in, induces an inflammatory response, which can have problems in certain individuals. Um, and we don't know enough about those processes because we don't look at the body in a holistic way. And therefore we miss out on the fact that the body could be producing immunity in a lot of people, which means we might already have 70%, 80%, 90% by the time the vaccine comes out, immunity anyway. And, and what is herd immunity? Is it a vaccine? No, it's actually what the body can do by itself that is vital. We need to understand it and we just don't because we think vaccines are that silver bullet. That's why they get so much credit. I guess it's that idea, isn't it, of, of a vaccine is like a shortcut. We can get there quicker if we can just use an injection of various kinds to kind of fast track that process. But Matt, you mentioned that the entire process of developing a vaccine, the race is on, as it were. You've got the president of the United States saying he's optimistic they'll have a vaccine by the time election day comes, which is in November 3rd. Uh, you have more uh, reasonable and perhaps better placed sources suggesting that a vaccine may be more realistically available in middle of 2021. But that is still a remarkably quick turnaround for uh, something that is brand new that's going to be trialled on human beings. Back in the 8th of September, AstraZeneca trial uh, of a vaccine had to be stopped because of the response within uh, someone who was involved in that trial. They had ended up in hospital. It did then resume on the 12th of September. But if you put all of this together and picking up on Nikki's concerns as well, why is a vaccine being touted as being one of the great solutions to the pandemic? 
I, I can't. Well, I, I can at least suggest a, a, a answer to that question. I think it's because it's it's almost a default reaction. Well, how have we dealt with similar circumstances, similar conditions in the past, various diseases? Vaccination has proven a, a degree of worth and value in a in not in some cases eradicating disease, but at least providing some kind of immunity towards it. So in a midst of a scenario that we weren't planning on, we've said it all before, beginning of this year, we weren't expecting to be where we are now. Uh, we, you know, COVID-19 was barely in the news, if at all. It, it, it's We go to what we find familiar. Well, what, how have we dealt with similar issues in the past? And therefore, vaccination, I think, has been, well, that's what we need. We need to pursue this and we need to get on the case in developing trials and uh, various vaccinations um, and possibilities of vaccinations in response to this. But I think you make the, uh, I've made the point and you've picked up on it. And I think it's a very important one to make. These things do take time. And I think on previous podcasts on the track and trace with Ian Bell, we were um, marvelling at uh, suggestions that by Christmas this would all be sorted or, or and not necessarily the trials but it's social distancing and, and a back to normal as as normal a life as we can imagine at the moment would be achieved by Christmas. Obviously since that last podcast we are very much in a different place and very much preparing for quite a different Christmas to what many of us will have anticipated and expected. So it only serves to highlight the fact that these things do take time. Uh, I, one example but Back in the 1970s, 1976, I think it was, America suffered a really important lesson where they rushed out a vaccine in response to a serious flu virus. And it led to three deaths um, in a New Jersey uh, nursing home the day after they had been vaccinated. And so a whole media frenzy ensued. Now, I know that's just one example, but it serves to highlight not only do we need to develop the trials and under, under our, our understanding as to how these, uh, how a possible vaccine could work and what it what benefits it would bring, but it's also the longer time um, studies identifying what other side effects that could be triggered that we may not know about until weeks or months down the track. So it, it's a very fine art and the very thought of being able to rush this through understandably knowing why the race is on because we want to get out of this as soon as possible we might actually be storing up problems for ourselves much further down the line and I think as as one um, professor I think from the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine has reportedly said uh, recently you know um, the, the promise of an HIV vaccine was going to be was going to happen in five years and that was said 30 years ago. So I, I, I want to hold out hope that we will get something and a vaccination is, is worth pursuing in some way. But let's also take a very balanced perspective as to what it would bring, what are the side effects and what other things do we, do we need to be considering alongside a vaccination? This is so important, isn't it? Nikki, do you think that one of the challenges that is currently going on is that you have these warnings, these caveats that Matt has articulated that you've already articulated around a vaccine to do with time and to do with possible side effects and so on. And yet, looking at it from a political point of view, there is a desire to give people good news. Uh, that's why I think the Prime Minister said a few months ago that it would be back to normal, hopefully by Christmas. And now all of a sudden we're looking at lockdown Christmas, not able to spend time with our families, students, 
although being allowed back, having to isolate beforehand, so on and so forth. So do you think there's a tension here in that the pressure is on from the politicians? Quick, 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 give us something that we can take to the people and say, good news, we've got a vaccine, all will be well. And what gets missed then is all of these warnings and caveats and so on. Yes, I think uh, that's a real problem. Um, I think um, technology, there's a danger when it starts being introduced and there's a lot of money that goes into these kind of products. There's um, the effort is then to try and sell it and to try and make it sound better than it is. And I think there's that danger uh, where I think in the last podcast, again, they said hyperbole, but be careful of it because, yeah, even you might have invested million, billions in this vaccine, in, in finding a quick solution out of it so we can get on with our lives. But actually, there's a real danger that in doing so, you could, A, undermine the whole you know, pharmaceutical industry by getting a mistake out there, <laughs> which, again, would be a disaster. Um, you could harm individuals in the process. Um, and also, you're kind of laying down layers of mistrust in doing so. So we've got to be really careful, and it does take time. Um, vaccine development takes 10 years or so. And um, Matt said something really interesting about the swine flu, uh, no, sorry, about the flu epidemic in America where they introduced the vaccine. We've actually had our own swine flu campaign over here. And I spoke to a mum whose uh, son was injured from that, had narcolepsy, went from a very active boy to sleeping umpteen hours a day. And who, which parent wants that for their child? They don't. And of course, these, um, the issue of being labelled anti-vax, the minute you raise a concern you get like you know you get pushed aside and these mums and children they've been harmed they have been harmed I've spoken to them I've spoken to these people listen to their stories I spoke to someone else who was um, a paramedic or something and he was given the swine flu vaccine he lost his job he couldn't work anymore he got narcolepsy these are people on the front line who are being targeted for for the vaccines as well and they've probably got concerns but again once you start speaking out you're labeled um, so there's this pressure which the media doesn't help because they're a powerful influence in this um, politics is a powerful influence because they've invested in it. What's the heart of this? Money comes down a lot of the time because it's a product. You can invest in it. Whereas if you really looked at what health is, go back to the social determinants of health, for example, what Marmot wrote about, um, that's a real key in understanding what health really is about. And those things are not funded. Fresh air, sunshine, breastfeeding, birth those choices of freedoms that mums don't have really they don't have um unless you've got money and you can you can get better health that's what mama was saying the people on the bottom line those things aren't as much available or they don't know how to access them or whatever it is their autonomy is constrained in such a way that their health suffers and we don't have the purse the public purse does not fund that it funds products because that's easy to sell and i think there's a massive problem in trying to make it look like a vaccine is going to be that silver bullet because actually if you fund it and you put money in it you could make it that silver bullet but that's not where health comes from this matt this comes back to the idea of the natural uh, natural health natural body using the natural health service as it's been coined by by mm -hmm. one prominent journalist and, and uh, Isabel Hardman had, had actually experienced the, the power of nature and its ability to to heal for example is that something that is being missed is there pressure from the government because they've they're spending millions of pounds uh, buying up 
enough doses to uh, inoculate every single person in the UK population? Do you think that that is a tension that is going on? I think there probably is. Yeah, I think that does explain part of the issue. Uh, Michael Sandel, uh, the political philosopher from Harvard, who I personally have an awful lot of time for, I really enjoy his writings and his ideas, I think very astutely has said, even before coronavirus, we don't just have a market economy, we are the market economy. And the society that we live in is shaped and determined by the markets. And I think without kind of, uh, I know I have various contacts in, in the pharmaceutical industry, and I think uh, they do a great job, and I, I think we would be lost without them. I think that nonetheless, though, I think they are, the, the whole discussion of big pharma, the kind of evil uh, pharmaceutical industry, um, I, I think there is something there in terms of its power. Uh, we were talking again how all these issues relate, but back to track and trace about the technology giants, Facebook, Amazon, so forth, uh, have an awful lot of power in terms of determining uh, the data usage. In like manner, I think in this conversation, there is something to be noted in terms of the power that the pharmaceutical industry yields and wields when it comes to policy development. And so I think, yes, um, I think if we weren't pursuing a vaccine, I think there would be questions raised, and I think I would have concerns. But the extent to which this is, as we've used the term, used as a silver bullet, the way out is a vaccine and throwing lots of money at it, investment, almost determines that that is going to be the only option and that is what's going to get us out of this. And so I think we need to be mindful of the various power plays that are in place here that are having an effect, and we need to be mindful of that. So, Nikki, just picking up on what Matt said there, would you agree that there's nothing wrong per se with pursuing research for the development of a vaccine, but what is wrong is the the uh, impression that's given that that is the only way that we're going to be able to recover some kind of normality. It's a really interesting question. It's a really good question, actually, because, um, yeah, I kind of see Matt's point. Um, I wouldn't step into the vaccination territory because I understand more about how the body works, I think, than, than most people. And I've got to be careful what I say because... I don't want to be looked at as, oh gosh, he's a conspiracy theorist or whatever. No, I've, I've researched very carefully uh, on what vaccines can do. And I think they're very, very, very limited. And we don't really talk about that. Um, we, we put too much credit on them. Um, for, I think there was probably, uh, looking at um, the Ebola outbreak, for example, where there wasn't really a vaccine until the very end of that. Again, the same kind of stories happening. Um uh, but the the hygiene measures they're trying to clear up, trying to help with you know charity workers going in, made a big difference. Um, and track and trace sort of uh, was used, and kind of. So I'm really kind of thinking right. We need an active approach to dealing with it in the way we've dealt with pandemics in the past that have worked. Um, I'm not sure. Yeah, I, I kind of get Matt's point. We need to be seen to be doing something on the vaccine scale. But the problem is technology once it's there really opens the door for things to go wrong um and um, i haven't really got any examples in my mind right now um but i know that once you start using it then it 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 kind of drives itself so the minute you have a vaccine you then drive it forward and you can't take it off so i mean one of the biggest 
problem, one of the biggest um, issues in vaccination at the moment, I think, is the HPV vaccine, which had a number of problems associated with it. Uh, there's a, a Karen Riles, I think, her daughter was seriously injured with um, heart palpitations, chest pain, abdominal pain afterwards, and got worse and worse, and she's not recovered. This is a you know healthy girl, and a lot of these more sporty girls get injured as well. Um, so there was a, a, a common kind of theme emerging. And what happened was instead of kind of backtracking and saying, well, actually, is this really necessary? What's happened is they've introduced it to boys. So you see, once you start introducing a technology and, you know, just look at smartphones and, and tablets and things, I mean, there's no kind of yielding, pulling back and saying, is this really good for our kids? And they're just addicted to these things. And we're doing the same with vaccines, all these technologies that parents particularly struggle and wrestle with. The, the impetus is on them. They've got to make those choices. They've got to try and decide. And, and I think most parents are ill-equipped. We're not trained how to do this. Um, and suddenly we've got all this pressure and technology that just drives itself with scientists who are doing that, just opening up markets. I don't think it's helpful. So I, um, I, I get it that public perception is we should be doing something, but it would be more on the lines that things that have worked in the past already where pandemics have occurred, hygiene measures, better health. The first things we did was shut the gyms. <laughs> so people couldn't get healthier. Uh, all the food was taken off the shelves. You know, how much of that went to people in need? The, you know, good diet. We stacked up on tinned food and sugar and stuff. And it's just like, what are we doing? This is crazy. All the chemicals that we're using to spray ourselves with. I mean, I just, I just at a loss really on knowing how to deal with this in a more constructive way that, that parents can feel like they're doing the best thing for the child. And technology is one of the things that's driving itself. And I, I want to step back and go, no. Matt. I'm back to you on that point then, Nikki. Then I, I, I also hear your point, and I think there's a, a real value in hearing what those perspectives and taking those into consideration, not just becoming solely focused on technology. But James was mentioning earlier about I know, various uh, people have, have used this term, you know, we've got not got a national health service, we've got a national disease service, uh, service and other permutations around that, stressing where we've got to, where we're basically helping to perpetuate disease and ill health and dependency. And I happened to be on a webinar early on in the week with um, Norman Lamb, uh, a former health secretary for, um, or shadow secretary for health for the Lib Dems, who I also have an awful lot of time for. I think his ideas and perspective on the health service, I think are very uh, needed and helpful and enlightening as to how we move forward. And that was the focus of this particular podcast. What does COVID, how is COVID going to transform the NHS and cause it to, to change, perhaps for the better, but also perhaps also for the worse and mapping those weaknesses now so we can learn and perhaps avoid them. And I think the key thing that was coming through was a, a far greater focus on integration of health and uh, putting the patient at the centre, not just a, a matter of kind of sound bites or we've got the patient at the centre because we ask them these key questions and tick them off the checklist at key, certain key points, but actually put them at the heart of everything that takes place, not only in terms of choice, but also integrating healthy choices and health as being something that is a partnership that they work with their doctors and other health practitioners to actually see their health thrive and flourish. 
And rather than seeing hospitals as being kind of incubators for disease or, or for containment, seeking to put in interventions much earlier on to help see that flourishing take place. So it's much more of a patient-focused and centred um, endeavour in terms of health, as opposed to almost waiting for them to get sick before we start intervening. And I say all that because I think what you're highlighting here is, is a really important point about looking upon health as being much more of a holistic endeavour, something that we all should be taking personal responsibility for and finding ways, I would be saying, of seeing how technology can uh, support that without it becoming the let's throw technology at it and let's throw everything we know and every resource that we have available to us at this because that's going to be the saviour. I think there needs to be a far more nuanced approach and a more integrated approach which sees everything in the round as opposed to technology being the answer but being rather than seeing technology as the answer, seeing technology as part of an answer that can in, um, empower. I don't know what your thoughts are on that. The idea that the NHS will become patient-focused, I have to say I've lost a lot of trust and faith in that. Um, I mean, my research project at the moment is obviously talking to, uh, I talk a lot to women who've gone through really difficult situations, um, um, how uh, women who are, like really desperate, dis desperately difficult situations, how they're coping, basically. Um, and I have to say that COVID, there's been some really negative uh, responses uh, in terms of what mothers and children's experiences are. And I want to I want to talk about this because this is um, if this is the new normal, I don't like it. I don't like it at all. Um, domestic abuse, for example, has gone up through the roof. Um, obviously, schools were all closed. So there was I don't know the statistics, but child abuse and things like that have gone through the roof. Um, uh, best interest, how, how do courts kind of weigh up what's the best interest for the child? I mean, we're looking at a very driven kind of model at the moment with vaccines and technology, and yet those things are considered in the best interest of the child. So again, mother's views are kind of overridden when it comes to stuff like that. Suicides, neglect, starvation, those are the issues. And yet, what have we done? We've gone kind of gone silver bullet vaccination. Um, this public purse spending, yeah, okay, we could do with um, throwing money at everything we've got. But where I, I differ is that I don't see any patient-focused health at all in COVID, and I don't like what I'm seeing. I think mothers and children are at the bottom of the scale when it comes to their choices and freedoms, and I think we are not putting enough effort into helping them look after their own health. Actually, what can you do for your health? Exercise, nutrition, diet, those things. Okay, we, we don't talk about those because we think that some other technology can do that. So I'd actually say, no, I, do you know what? I want that, the money that's been spent on vaccines and technology and track and trace. I would like to see a lot more emphasis on those, those you know, basic, what can we do about our own health to protect us? How can we help the children? How can we help the mothers? Because the lockdown really made a lot of people suffer um, and we're waiting for a vaccine. What is going on? And I, I just think that the patient-focused health, I don't see it. I don't see it in terms of where I'm coming from with on, on the ground, listening to the parents, listening to the children who are really suffering. We just don't put the money into things that aren't a product. Um, so, yeah, I have real scepticism of what, what good uh, products and technology and those kind of things can really achieve for the people who are really suffering on the ground. I hear what you're saying, and I think poverty and um, inequalities uh, triggers are uh, triggers are precursors to to disease, and therefore a vaccine and trying to roll out a vaccine 
um, is only going to make those things potentially worse. Yeah. Uh, we, we've got to be thinking about families who will struggle to get vaccinations because yeah. they're in a country or town without a GP or a single parent that's struggling to, to take children to a surgery and make them comply, if I can use that term, to, to be in the surgery to have the vaccination. People are socially excluded who are in poverty. Who will, we will just not be able to connect or we don't have the means at the moment to connect and to be able to bring them into a, a, um, a vaccine a vaccine um, project uh, process. So vaccines don't help to change inequality. I appreciate that. And I, again, it was interesting hearing Norman Lamb talk about um, projects that he'd seen in Italy, where they again were seeking to place in interventions before it actually got worse, and um, it, it's I, I found it encouraging to see how technology was helping to to support that. But I, I hear your point that we can become so focused. If we've got the technology, then of course it's going to bring these results. It's without any question. It's not just that we, of course it's going to bring these results and the data says the opposite that it's not bringing the results and that's the danger is that we are not looking at that and I did the data comparison with the inequality as well breastfeeding kind of was really important for like inequality so uh, putting those things right into early years support for mothers and babies outcomes are so much better um it's that they follow uh, that that um, the correlation um, where outcomes are better, whereas vaccines did the opposite. They followed the correlation where things were worse. Uh, if you know the Spirit Level books um, and the and the work that was done there, um, so I actually did the analysis. I looked at it. I mean, um, it's it's worrying when when that's what we're doing. When we're saying, yeah, there's, there could be benefit, but actually, no, but it's the opposite. It's not that vaccines are causing it. It's just we're missing the point. We're missing that inequality isn't solved by vaccinations at all. And it's made it, you know, it, it adds a layer of deception to what is going on. Sure. Yeah. Fascinating, isn't it? Because there's a, there's a whole question as to whether the uh, development of a vaccine will actually increase the inequality that already exists. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, precisely. And yeah. this is something that often kind of plays on my mind let's say for argument's sake that a vaccine is developed, but let, then let's say that for whatever reason, there's not enough for everybody Precisely. to receive it. How on this good earth do you choose? Now you say, well, we'll do the vulnerable people first. Well, first of all, that in itself is a subjective term, uh, yeah. which is very difficult to define accurately. Then you've got the reality that there will be uh, those for whom a vaccine uh, might be more effective because they don't have access to... Uh, uh, education and the ability to uh, develop that healthy lifestyle, for example, and, and and suddenly it's layer upon layer upon layer, and you're just throwing in something that's just going to complicate things yeah. even more. I mean, Nikki, it's almost as if what you're advocating for is a kind of a, a complete reform, a revolution, as it were, of, of healthcare, whereby we. I would love that. Would that yeah, I but think would that be I'm going as a I'm, I am a Christian. God commanded us to feed the hungry, to clothe the poor, uh, to, you know, to address those issues. I think as Christians, that is really where my heart is, in knowing the social determinants of health research, the spirit level inequality stuff, and thinking, oh my gosh, this is exactly what was written in the Old Testament, in the New Testament. You have the poor among you, so therefore look after them, because it's as if you're looking after me. The social determinants of health 
model is critical to our Christian understanding of what it is to need to be healthy and to challenge models that create those deceptive layers when we need to look at what you know health really is to somebody. Uh, poverty and disease are linked. I have no doubt in my mind that those two are the fundamental issues. Um, poverty and you know, disease will follow poverty. Um, coronavirus is, um, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to go out there and say yeah, it doesn't exist because some people have said that and I'm not going to do that. Um, but I think it really depends on your inner health, your inner lifestyle. Matt, um, I wonder if, if we're going to shift focus, for argument's sake, away from uh, putting all our eggs in the vaccine basket, as it were, then people will have the inevitable follow-up question of, well, if we're not going to rely upon a vaccine, then what are we going to do? Uh, Nikki has advocated one potential approach whereby we, we get on with what Christ has commanded us to do. But we also know that there's some... Uh, growing consensus, for example, around something that I have started taking very recently, vitamin D, which you should take anyway, because it's the sunshine vitamin. Is, is that not right? And, indeed, and indeed. Sunshine and all that stuff, you know. That's... Anyway, Matt, is that an option? Is that something that we can do? Are there, are there alternatives? I certainly think it is something we can do, uh, as you have very uh, ably demonstrated, uh, James, through your, your willingness to adopt that. But I, I do think these kinds of things do need to be considered and they do need to be given the attention uh, that they deserve. And I think they're certainly reading the reports in I was reading in The, the Lancet. So respectable sources of information is what I'm, I'm, I'm saying by quoting that source. Um there is something in this that the research that there is other research taking place alongside developing a vaccine and it is demonstrating that people are being urged to take a vitamin d supplement in order to help reduce their risk of becoming infected with with covid19 there seems to be a link to higher levels of, of lymphocytes uh, basically the, the body's main aim uh, main type of cell immune cells um that seem to be um tied to helping to reduce uh, the release of too many proteins into the blood too quickly, which is one of the ways in which coronavirus infections can kill. So I think this is one of the other options we need to be considering and other options like it, which I hope will come about because there, are, there is research taking place. There is interest in this field, uh, wary of the, the pressures and the um, the devastating effects that coronavirus is having alongside developing a vaccine, there is also research taking place to consider other options. And these things are less controversial, but yet potentially can provide some degree of, of, of therapy and of help to us uh, as we seek to kind of steer our way through this. I guess it's, it's one of the great things that I think we have reached a, a, a consensus on in, in our discussion, which is that all of the focus being on a vaccine unhelpfully distracts both from that research, Matt, but also from some of the points you've been raising as well, Nikki, that, that we have to uh, look at things in the round. We have to take a holistic approach to this. Now, I'm just conscious we want to be drawing this discussion uh, to a close. There's so much more that we could 
uh, delve into. And perhaps uh, there is an argument, maybe if you're listening, you're watching this, and there are questions that you have got that we have not yet touched upon, please get in contact with us. You can do so if you're watching on YouTube in the comments underneath, and you can also get in contact with us on social media, on Facebook, on Twitter, uh, if you're on Instagram as well. And if you really, really want to, you can email mail at care.org.uk with some of your questions, and that'll help us to frame a future discussion and make sure we're hitting the questions that you have in your mind. But I want to just finish... Uh, very briefly from both of you with a question that I know I have and I know others will have as well. Let's say for argument's sake, we have managed to reach January 2021 and God's goodness, there is a vaccine that is ready to be made available for people to use. It's free on the National Health Service, which is a wonderful thing, surely, right? Here it is. Is it possible, should I slash others conscientiously object uh, to using the vaccine what do we think about that matt come to you first what does it mean for people's freedom should people be able to conscientiously object to taking the vaccine succinctly i think they should be i think we move into even more challenging dangerous territory if it's compulsory because i do think that people should be able to uh, have that freedom of choice to take to do something like this now, of course, that's you know, how does that play out against the common good and a responsibility? I'm not doing this just for myself, but I'm also seeking to protect my neighbour and so forth. But I do think if we move into a pro- into a place where we are forcing people to become immunised, then I think there is that that's even more challenging, and therefore I would be uh, resistant to that. I think. Um, if people chose not to be immunised uh, based on conscientious, conscientious objection, then okay, there would be some expectation that they perhaps would continue to social distance or other sets of um, conditions, perhaps that they would seek to adhere to that they might be happy to follow. But um, I don't think they should be fo- forced to, to be immunised. Nikki, final thought from you? Oh, well, obviously, I would say I would conscientiously object because that is what I'm kind of do um my question would be what would you do as christians for those people who feel like they've been under pressure or make it when it's made mandatory what happens then which side of the fence are you going to speak up for people who um are concerned uh, and i think this puts a lot of pressure on the christian faith you know we've got to think to um narcissism is quite an extreme example but if we don't speak out on something then what then what then what encroachment of our human rights has to be considered we have to think about what we're going to do fantastic well nikki matt thank you very much indeed for your contributions on uh, this carecast we've talked about some ethical tricky thorny issues and questions and let me just repeat again if you are listening and watching this and have questions thoughts opinions that you want to share with us then can i encourage you to do a number of things Firstly, do subscribe to the Carecast because we're going to be revisiting some of these questions in future episodes. Uh, You can do so on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. And if you're watching on YouTube, subscribe to our YouTube channel. Join the hundreds of others who are already subscribing and become part of this growing community. Please also join us on Facebook, like our Facebook page, Care.org UK, and you can join the tens of thousands of those who follow our updates and 
check in with what we're doing. We are trying to furnish you with content that is going to be helpful as you figure out what to do with vaccines, test and trace, and so on and so forth. So thank you, all of you, for listening, for watching. Thank you to Matt. Thank you to Nikki for joining me on the Carecast. And until next time, I'll be back in just a few weeks' time. You've been listening to the Carecast. Remember to subscribe to get the latest episodes and find out more about the work of care on care.org.uk. Care. For what you believe.